This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. Hello, and welcome to the Theology Gaming Podcast. My name is Zachary Oliver, the owner and proprietor of the Theology Gaming Blog. With me today are three special guests. We have Andrew Crawford. How you doing? Doing good. Glad to be here. Eric Anderson. How you doing? Greetings. Hey, it's good to be here. And Jonathan Clausen. How you doing? Greetings and salivations. <laughs> I farewell, sir. <laughs> the three of you tonight are here with me to discuss a topic with a general vague idea of what exactly we were going to talk about, which is identity. Now, I don't know where any of you want to go with this, so the first one to take the floor wins. I thought this was going to be a podcast on identity theft. No. No? <laughs> then I think I signed up for the wrong podcast. Well, Heartblade virus aside. <laughs> <laughs> Harpley decide, what do you guys think of the word identity when you hear it in a Christian and or video game context or both? Well, I'll, I'll jump in as I don't think as as a as and if we're defining Christian as someone who follows the teachings of Christ as as stated in. And this is where I prove that I'm a layman. I'm not where Zach, you're you're more of the scholar than I am and possibly Eric and uh, and Andrew. But where is it that uh that the followers of Christ in Antioch were first labeled as Christians. Where was that in the New Testament? It's in Acts. Acts. It's in Acts. Yeah. Of course it's in Acts. It was fairly <laughs> early else, in Acts. Where else would it be? All right. So anyway, that completely aside, uh, you know, if, if we're identifying ourselves as followers of Christ, I don't think you can define your identity from gaming because you, then you're trying to serve two masters, so to speak. Yeah. You mm-hmm. were not a gamer and a Christian. You are a Christian. Correct. So Debate. What does who, that who, who, mean? Who disagrees with me? <laughs> <laughs> what does it mean to be a gamer and a Christian at the same time? My my personal view is this: games are are twofold. They have an ability to tell a, a story, whether it be through a player's own construct and experience, or whether it be from the narrative of the game designer. An example of where one could make your own story would be. You know, a sports game. It could be a uh, you know, people have their own stories they make in Madden franchise mode, or through an open world game, or it could be a very distinct narrative. Uh, whether it be a game like uh, Infamous, or whether it be a game like Bioshock, it, it's a very constructed narrative. The other way uh, that video games can be related to a, a Christian would be using them in a way of discipleship, and by by that I mean not trying to use a video game to preach to people, a.k.a. Bible adventures. Uh, but, but you know, like, like, like a friend of the podcast, I'm assuming he's a friend because I've never talked to him in person yet, but we debate on Facebook all the time. You know, M. Joshua Collar, you know, he, he, he uses, like tonight, he couldn't be with us because he is, quote-unquote, mentoring people, which it, he says he's, he's mentoring them on Halo 4 and how to line up the perfect headshot. So while that doesn't exactly, you know, correspond to discipleship, <laughs> and thus the 11th commandment spoke, thou shalt have a perfect kill-to-death ratio. Um, <laughs> you, 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 you can use video games to, to build a relationship and to join in a community, and within that community, you speak the gospel to people. Hmm. But at the same time, can you be a quote-unquote gamer and be the person who is in this strange subculture that 
people seem to associate with video games in general. You know, kind of the smelly nerd who goes to all those expos or conferences or what have you. Well, I think it, it, you know, there, there's a deeper meaning of identity of who are you really. And then there's the identity of I'm part of this group or I'm part of this culture. So we'll take the, the lighter sense of identity and we'll try to make that our deeper sense of identity. And I think that's one of the things that causes problems. So I think you can call yourself a gamer or a nerd and a Christian, but you have to understand that um, your deeper identity in Christ is going to be more fulfilling and and give that its due respect and its due placement as compared with a lighter identity, which is just, oh, hey, this is a, a culture I'm a part of and this is something that, this is a word that exemplifies my hobbies and my interests. Huh. Okay. Before we go on, I want to take up that point, but I want to welcome yet another guest to the podcast. <laughs> hey! Uh, Michael Justin Jones. Yes, sir. How are you doing? Doing well. How's it going? Good. And we're here to talk about identity. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I'm excited. I want to key on the point that Eric just made, which is okay. the idea that identity is kind of a strange thing that people accept. Oh, that sounds scary. My apologies. I um. Anyway, continue, please. Ident- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, mountain collapse. That's fine. But- <laughs> uh, I opened a window. I'm sorry. It's hot. But the thing about identity is that we often want to associate ourselves with multiple subcultures. For example, okay, I like reading theology books, so some people might call me a theologian. Some people might call me a gamer because I play a lot of games. Some people might call me a music aficionado because I listen to a lot of bizarro different music. You know, Mm -hmm. but I don't think any of those things that I do like that necessarily are the defining portion of me. Now... I think there is a link between what you do and who you are. Those things, you know, the things that you are naturally come out in the things you do. And that's really the only thing that I can judge you by because I don't know your innermost thoughts. But in the Christian case, we all know that we have our identity in Christ because we've died in Christ. And he has given us a new personality and a new body and to do all these other things, right? So we're not necessarily part of any of these subcultures. We're kind of like travelers on the road and we visit people of other kinds of interests and stuff, but we, our primary identity is as Christians in Christ. That's my opinion on that. I right. feel that that's... A, oh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I'd agree with that. I think it's Christians and... Uh, by the way, just because this kind of thing bothers me, it was in Acts chapter 11 uh, where uh, the Antioch Christians were referred to as Christians. Good, um, Good thing we've confirmed that. <laughs> yeah, that kind, of, that, kind of, that kind of thing bothers me, so I had to look it up. But uh, anyway, um, I definitely think as Christians, you know, it's it's a little bit different for our case as opposed to, you know, thinking of someone else who's just kind of a part of the world. Uh, because as Christians, you know, like you said, we do find our primary identity in Christ, and that, enc- and that encompasses, you know, our identity is we are Christians. We are sons of the living God. Um, now when you're thinking about identity in more of a, I I guess you could say secular kind of way. Uh, I think like you said that what we do doesn't necessarily form the entirety of it. I think it's just part of it. Uh, uh, for me, I know that when I, the way I was brought up, you know, was family was very important. So, you know, I, I get a lot of my secular, you know, non-spiritual identity from my family. 
Uh, and so that that's a very large part of who I think of myself as far as my identity is concerned. Uh, and yes, I mean, my hobbies are a part of that as well. You know, I love to read. I love to uh, play games. I love to write, you know, that kind of thing. But I, I think when you're really getting down to who you really are, you know, including the spiritual aspect of it and everything, I think it's kind of amalgamation of all those things. It kind of all of those things is what make you who you are. Just like when you're talking about culture. Uh, you know, not one thing makes a culture, not, you know, art or music or anything like any one thing makes up culture. It's all of it put together is what makes a culture. And I think identity is the same way. And Mr. For Jones, me, what do you think? Uh, that's a good segue into actually um, how I see identity. As far as identity goes for me, I, for me personally, I used to have a lot of self-esteem issues. And so when I started kind of forming my identity in Christ, it started helping uh, me really see myself in a better light and not think as negatively of, of myself as I used to. And so verses that say that I'm a son of God, you know, I'm grafted into the vine and, and that sort of thing, that really helps me to see myself as I feel that the Lord sees me rather than having to uh, kind of identify with anything else because anything else you can define yourself in in many different ways and it, it can be kind of i don't want to say wishy-washy but it's it's uh very but it's a fun word to say <laughs> this is true this is true yeah. but it's it's more um it's not stable for uh you understand what i'm trying to say like it's it's it can be defined in many different ways but when you define yourself Specifically, when you find your identity as a son of God, there are very specific things that are said about you, and there are very specific things that you can really come into. Concrete. Uh, yes, it's very concrete. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of questioning about it. It's and it's very positive too. The you know the as far as what the Bible says about how the Lord sees us, um, there's a verse that says that His thoughts about you are more numerous than the sands on the seashore, and for me. Um, coming from kind of a low self-esteem, knowing that the God of the universe has a really positive outlook on me and he sees me as uh, someone important and someone that's very, uh, that I have uh, authority and that I have uh, importance in this world. It's, it's very uplifting. Did that answer the question? I'm sorry. Yeah, sure. Why not? (laughs) Okay, cool. Awesome. Sorry, I, I just got home from work, so I'm still kind of forming thoughts and whatnot. Yeah, we didn't have a clear idea of what we were doing when we started this anyway, so... <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Not well, that it much matters. I, I think identity, if, if and this will probably take us down a different rabbit hole, but I think another thing that identity relates to is what we worship. And when I say worship, I'm not I'm not talking about what we do on Sunday mornings when we when we gather at a building and we we sing our contemporary services or traditional services or what have you. Mm-hmm. I I, th- I think a lot of it. I mean, when you boil down to it, you worship one of two things: you either worship God or you worship yourself. You can make an argument that there's a third that we can worship other people, but in a way, we could sit here and debate that the theology behind that all day long. But this is very the, true. The, the the point is is the point that I want to make very briefly is me brief ha is that (laughs) (laughs) and and zach you're the host so tell me to shut up when you need me to shut up no no no. i have a tendency to ramble but rambling is good that's what podcasts are made of (laughs) (laughs) well okay let me give you an example uh one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite pastors uh that i like to listen to is a guy named tim keller 
And when you, I've, I've, he basically breaks, there's more to it than this, but he likes to break it down into four things. We, we like, you can be in control, fearing other, others, looking elsewhere for satisfaction or proving ourselves. And when you look at it that way, I mean, especially for gamers, we fall into two of those four categories a lot. Like, and I'll just give a very brief example for myself. For me, it's a lot of, it's about control. I'm 32 years old, I've been married 12 years, and I have a nine-year-old son. And in a lot of ways, and I'm self-employed, and as is my wife. So there's always a, a curious, there's always the question of where's the next paycheck going to come from? Oh my goodness, is the business going to do well this month? Am I going to be able to afford, you know, to put food on the table? You know, that was, that was the worry for a long time, but there was one thing that I could always control, one thing I always knew, and that was my games. I was good at my games. I could sneak through the Metal Gear Solid VR missions like no one else's business. Um, or I could, I, I could just have a control over my man cave. You know, I look around where I'm sitting now, I'm looking, and I just see, I see all my games alphabetized. I see them organized by, by system and all these pathetic OCD things. And in a way, I spent so much time and money worshiping these games because i mean what do you worship how do you tell you worship something well look what you sacrifice for you Come sacrifice on. time you sa- uh, where are we going no 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 no. that's good i was i was encouraging <laughs> you sorry i'm sorry <laughs> i was being encouraging come on i could tell if you point. were talking to something in there okay we're looking at we're looking at um you know we worship by giving money we worship by sacrificing time relationships and what we sacrifice for is what we worship and for a lot of people, games can be what we worship by what we sacrifice for it. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that, was, that was what I had to say in a very long-winded sort of way. I, I understand your point because video games are not like reality. And the more you try to make them like reality, the less mm-hmm. they work. Right. Because yeah. part of what makes a video game a game is that it's an assemblage of rules and systems that work in a particular way and then have particular re- reactions and effects when you mess around with them. So to use my particular example, I find Dark Souls interesting because basically it's a giant set of rules that you don't know you don't anything know. about. And so mm-hmm. the, re- the reason why it's so difficult is that you don't know anything about them. But right. the moment that you figure out everything, or at least enough to get by, then the game becomes substantially easier. Right. And then and, at that point you're in control. But in real life... There are not so clear-cut rules. The rules of reality are infinite and or non-existent. Things just happen. And exactly. we can't control reality in the same way that we can control video games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and by no means, don't, don't mistake what I'm saying is that all video games are an idol. By no, by no means are they. I, I believe video yeah. games at the very core are great ways for people to, uh, to, 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 um, to exhibit both our, our God-given ability to create... And an ability for us to be able to deal with things. I think there's great benefit and great things. I don't think video games are evil like my, my parents and their well-meaning ways did. Um, <laughs> yes. Oh, dude. I mean, every Christmas, every time I saw a rectangular-sized box that was of decent size, I was like, is it my Nintendo? No. Is it a Super <laughs> Nintendo? Please, please, dear God, please. But no, uh, no, never happened. My parents loved me. Oh! <laughs> oh! Way to put it. Oh. Burn! Okay, I'm just gonna sit here quietly and, uh, and, and and let you guys continue the podcast, and I'll just I'll just interject an insult when one comes along. I love it. I love it. Uh, okay. Anyone have any thoughts? 
Uh, on the note of the video games we got for Christmas thing, I never got a whole lot of games. I Even as an adult, I've never really been able to afford a whole lot of games. So when I do get something, I play it to death. What kind of games do you play to death? Me? Yes. Uh, <laughs> lots and lots of RPGs, specifically. RPGs Western or Japanese? <laughs> <laughs> of course, there's the uh, the identification. Um, specifically, I've played uh, the Fallout series, um, Skyrim and Oblivion, and um, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. So, 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 so many hours dumped into all those games. And, and particularly um, Knights of the Old Republic uh, dumped hours into those because I, one, enjoy the Star Wars lore, but two, I'm a big fan of uh, tabletop RPGs, and it runs off a very similar system to Dungeons & Dragons. I so, believe yeah. it's based off 3.5 if I had to take a guess. You are correct. You are correct. <laughs> Look at me. I'm so <laughs> awesome. Look at my knowledge bombs. I'm still trying to get over the fact that he was able to use the word Star Wars and lore in the same sentence with a straight face. <laughs> hey, there's an expanded universe. That's what they're going off. Well, that's what they're supposed to be going no, off. The new JJ Abrams hates expanded universe. It's gone. Does he really? Poof. That upsets me greatly. <laughs> <laughs> this hey, is what happens when I don't pr- pay attention to the world. Live long and prosper, man. That's all I gotta say. Yes, yeah, so which means we won't learn much about the identity <laughs> of Admiral Thrawn or the Emperor's clones or any of that mm, stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, I think that's a little bit of a good uh, segue, just a little bit, into um, like what games that we play that deal with identity. For me personally, um, I love playing RPGs like that because you can kind of make your own identity. You can kind of become whatever kind of character you like, uh, make them as dynamic as you like or as one-dimensional one as you like. You can kind of create your own sort of identity um, within the world, of course, within the scope of the world. Uh, however, it's more of a, almost like an escape. To, be, to If there was a less negative word for it, I would use that, but it's you can kind of create an alter ego of hmm. sorts. How about role-playing? Is that a good way to put it? Yes! <laughs> hey! Words <laughs> that define what we're talking about. Yeah. I don't think Escape necessarily always has to have the negative context, either. Um, if you look at uh, Tolkien has an entire thing, it's called uh, On Fairy Stories, and it's it's essentially his defense on uh, fairy stories and, you know, why fairy tales and that kind of thing are worth something. And mm. he actually he actually uses Escape as in a very positive way to mean that we escape into the world, you know, that's been created by the writer or whatever, and he has all these rules about how you're supposed to be consistent within the world and everything like that. Yeah, but, that's a great you know, essay, we, by the way. <laughs> Everyone should read it. But uh, anyway, you you escape into this, and you know, but the way he looks at it is, you escape to come back, and it's what you gain from your escape, and when you come back and apply it into the real world, and, you know, that's what makes that's what makes it something that's positive, you know. So, for instance, out of his Lord of the Rings series, you know, you escape into that world and become part of this Middle Earth, you know, that he's created with its consistent sense of rules and everything. And it's when you come out of that, you know, you've gained something from reading it, you know, whatever it may be. And, you know, what, whether whatever way you apply that to your real life, you know, that's – he calls it escape and recovery. And so I don't think it necessarily always has to have – you know, that negative connotation we associate with escape and escapism. 
No, I feel that that's a really good point, actually. Um, for me, uh, I, I'm highly interested in uh, personal – what's the word? Uh, personal – like making yourself better, self-betterment, that sort of thing. Improvement. Um, yeah. Personal growth. Yeah, personal improvement. And so um, uh, I've always heard as escapism as sort of like wanting to – uh, remove yourself from the world because the trials of the world are so terrible, et cetera, et cetera. And um, hearing it that put it that way, it's actually um, kind of relieving and refreshing in that you escape to sort of contemplate and more process in order, and also to see a different point of view uh, rather than to just not deal with your personal self. What kind of personal, what kind of other point of view are you, can you give me an example, or I shouldn't say me, us, what, can you give us an example of what, this, like, an alternate point of view is? On escapism? Well, you, you say, you, I mean, I'm assuming you're speaking about, uh, you know, a personal experience, you say, be, with, withdrawing and escapism, being able to look at something from a different point of view, are you, what is this other point of view that you're referring to? Oh, the other point, um, as far as escapism goes, uh, I've known, not for myself, pers- well, maybe to a degree, but not specifically for myself, uh, for escapism to be more of a, I have all this crazy stuff going on in my life and I'm trying to either ignore it or not think about it or really just find a way to wind down, but without actually processing these sort of things. And it becomes, um, sort of, uh, I'm living in a different world because I don't want to deal with the one that's going on in my life. Lord. So it's a way of wanting to. <laughs> so it's what a way that? of wanting to. Uh, yeah, that the odd noises in the background. But, uh, well, but, someone's so, just uh, working on the background music. So. Oh, gotcha. We have composition going on. I like it. It was Multitask. my fault. I'm okay. It was my ringtone, okay by this. the way. Okay. <laughs> so I mean, is I mean, why is it? I mean, for you, is it is so? Then I mean, is it a, is it a matter of control? Is it a matter of of fearing people in your in your uh, in in your environment, workplace, or whatever, uh, having to seek approval from others? Is is there, are any of these striking a note or a chord? Um, as far as control goes, I, I could see it as a form of control. Like, I can't control these things that are going on in my environment. Therefore, I will, um, quote-unquote, abuse something that I can control, like a, a fantasy world of sorts. And you sort of find uh, solace and relief in a world that you are in control of, essentially, where you are the master. Because normally in... RPGs and, and games like that, or Western RPGs, um, you, the main character essentially by the end becomes a storm of God with just how powerful they are. But um, yeah, it could it could be viewed as a form of control, definitely. What about approval? Because you, you're not you, you don't have to answer to anybody. You are, as George Clooney would say in Oh Brother Where Art Thou, you are the paterfamilias. You are the you you are the alpha personality in this in this adventure. So, well, you could you could take it the other way, and um, as far as approval goes, that um, for people who like to play sort of negative evil, I'm more of a tyrant dictator kind of characters. Uh, there's not a whole lot of approval in that from the characters in the world. However, that's not my playstyle personally. But for approval, looking to games for approval personally. That's not something I've necessarily delved into in a in a thought pattern sort of way, or looked into that. But I don't feel that that would apply to me personally. Necessary. That's an interesting thought. 
Jonathan, you brought up something earlier about um, I did, you know, like about a yeah about you know maybe a different perspective that we had gained from being able to go into something. And I actually have a really good example of that. Um, I haven't been it yet, but recently I purchased the game uh, Spec Ops: The Line. Ooh. And uh, anybody who's played that game, you know, you realize that you're you're essentially put in these kind of situations where you really can't win per se. You know, you you make these choices, and either way you choose to play it out, you know, there's going to be some, you know, horrific consequence. Yeah, and, uh, and, and if I'm not mistaken, that game is uh, another retelling of Heart of Darkness, isn't it? Or Apocalypse Now, whatever your well, flavor apo- yeah, is. Apo- yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so, anyway, um, I didn't mean to interrupt you. you Please know, I, continue. I, no, you're good. And so, uh, when I was playing this game, you know, I, you know, I tend to get immersed. I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm like Michael. I get, tend to get immersed in the things that I play. And, um, and so I, I'm putting myself in the shoes of this person. And, and I guess I should say, because this is relevant, uh, the one theme between all the characters I've ever played in in games, and this includes all genres, you know, whether it's a first-person shooter or RPG, my, I always, always view my character as trying to save the most people. Hmm. So even if I'm playing as Master Chief in Halo, I want all my Marines to make it through the mission. <laughs> if, I'm playing, if I'm playing you know, Skyrim, and I'm, you know, on a guild quest or whatever, and I have companions. I want them all to make it through. Uh, That's so, you so, didn't play, so you didn't play Halo on uh, on legendary difficulty then, because there is no way you are no. going to save them all I on that first all drop ship. <laughs> I beat them all on legendary. Yeah. But, um, oh, dude, my hat is off to you, sir, because they all died <laughs> within five seconds the moment I get to that first drop off point in the first Halo game, and on legendary, yeah, they're gone. Covenant kills them on the first drop ship. <laughs> That's so funny. But, um, Anyway, I, I say that because it's relevant to what I'm about to say, you know. And so I put myself in the position of this uh, character that you take over, and you're, you know, and I, ma- I start making these decisions, and the per- kind of the perspective that I gained on myself in real life is it, it enabled me to kind of put myself in those kind of situations and kind of imagine myself in, you know, like <coughs> what would I do if, you know, because let's be real, in real life there are going to be situations in which no matter what you choose, there are going to be negative consequences. And so it kind of enabled to kind of look at myself and say, you know, what kind of person would I be in those kind of situations? And what would my values be in those kind of situations? You know, if I had to choose between one choice that might, you know, save myself the pain, but would pass it on to someone else, or if I chose the other choice, you know, I would come out the worst for wear while someone else, you know, was, came off better you know what? What would I? What kind of values would I make that decision based off of? And I, I thought that game actually provided a really good arena for me to be able to do that in a way, you know, in kind of a safe way, in an environment where there really actually weren't real world consequences, but it still enabled me to kind of see what kind of values I would base those decisions based off of. I haven't beaten the game myself either. I downloaded it a while back when it was free on PlayStation Plus, and uh, it's sitting there in my pile of shame, waiting to be played. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, no, no. So now, of course, now when we're done with this, I'm going to have to boot this stupid thing up because I'm going to want to play it now. <laughs> nice. And I don't really care what I do in a video game, to be honest. But I, I don't have any kind of moral attachment or identity. I'm always just looking for whatever the optimal strategy is. So moral decision making, all that stuff doesn't matter to me at all. So you well, so you, so so uh, no, hold on. I want to ask this. So when you're playing it, Bioshock yeah. and you're looking into the poor sweet eyes of the little sister. Yeah, it's and a you're gameplay like, benefit. I, and you like 
I want this power, so I'm going to kill this little itty bitty girl. Granted, yeah, she's made of polygon. You did. Wow. I don't understand Cold, the difference. Man. See, Cold. to me, the story is irrelevant. <laughs> I don't care. Ah. You know what? If I get a bad ending, so be it. <laughs> That's just so part of the you're... nature of the game. So you would be what's called a min-maxer then? Yeah, I have zero yes. empathy for the g- people in the story because they have no relation to me actually playing the game. I want to have a conversation with you in a, definitely in a different podcast then because uh, there was a great <laughs> GDC panel about per- making empathy in games based off of uh, uh, the Freedom Cry DLC for yeah. Assassin's Creed Black Flag. I would Flag. say you can't actually create empathy in games unless you're the ideal player of those games. But again, different podcast. <laughs> oh, why have a podcast? You just said it. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> Drop the mic. It's over. <laughs> I would like to make the point uh, that your identity could be – because you do have an identity. I feel that you gain identity from – essentially everything that you do uh so it kind of matters in that sense what you want to do with your life but you could make it you could make the point that your identity is gained in being this sort of all-powerful uh best possible version of yourself uh in a in a um, strength and power sort of stance like you that would be your identity was i am the strongest i am alpha zach as it were well or you could think of it as i'm just manipulating the rules in a way that makes it so i can complete the game in the best way because i'm always looking for the optimal strategy to complete the game because i'm always perceiving as a game and not so much as me inserted into a video game experience you know, maybe this is just my old school mentality coming to to the fore here. But I, yeah, but I, the story has no effect on me unless it has a gameplay effect, in which case I'm still going to engage in a, let's say, a Bioware conversation tree just so I can get whatever party member I wanted to do or get whatever ability or make somebody angry at me or something like that. You killed Rex, didn't you? Uh, well, <laughs> yes, I did, if you have to ask. In the first game of all places. For, for from a tabletop standpoint, and there's a possibility. Um, from a tabletop <laughs> tabletop standpoint, yeah, I play. I don't really get, get into RPGs a whole lot. I do play Munchkin in rare occasions, um, which is more of a mockery of RPGs, but very fun. A good um, mockery. It's a fun. It game. is Munchkins is. is so fun. It is, and I, I, I in particular played the board game version more than the actual card game because I had the board game version, Munchkin Quest, which was loads of fun. I didn't even um, know that was a thing. Yes, it go is to your really local good, game actually. store or Amazon. There's, I, there, I think there are up to like twenty expansions now, or twenty different versions of the game. Yeah, there, it's there's insane. a lot out there. For me, when it comes to identity, with with a lot of games, it's. I'm stepping into this world, and with tabletop games, there's such a huge variety. Because there's, you've got resource and expansion games like Settlers of Catan, where you're, you're really all you're trying to do is just expand, get stuff and expand, and that's all it's about. It's not about you know being really good to your people. It's just let's get stuff and expand. Um, and then you've got HeroScape, where you build a, a a team of characters to work together that could be from anywhere. You could have science fiction characters like robots and aliens and history-based characters like um, World War II soldiers and knights and samurai. And you could have 
fantasy characters such as <sighs> dragons and Kiris and and, uh, and elves and all these. And you're building a team that that is fighting in Valhalla. And you might take your robot up against a dragon. Or your World War II soldier might take a shot at... At, a, at an alien who's standing next to an elf. I mean, it's it, it's the greatest battle in the world, and I once described Heroescape as the TARDIS of the tabletop gaming world. Um, <laughs> oh, gosh. We had to have an obligatory Doctor Who reference, didn't we? It had I, to have no issue. I have no issue with Doctor Who references. Um, <laughs> I don't know what Doctor Who is. Oh, sad day. You, sad. I don't you, like it. I've watched it once. I will never... I don't like it, it either. So. You, you, I don't know done, if we can be friends anymore. You've done far better than me. I have never seen a single episode. You know what? My See, friend forced me to watch it. That's how I watched it. <laughs> anyway, anyway, we interrupted your thought. On. What were you saying? <laughs> it, it's more that um, in tabletop gaming, it feels like if you try to base your identity with that, your identity is going to change. True. Very true. Because you're going to be... Pl- Playing all these different things and doing all these different things. Like, I just got a new game a couple of days ago that I haven't played yet because I just got it. Um, called Power Grid, where you're basically a power company. You're trying to build more power plants and get more cities to provide power in. And, and Okay, here's what I'm going to tell you. Garbage or nuclear power? <laughs> That's all I'm going to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> nuclear power, I crush everybody in that game. Yeah, I'm I've say. only played it once at Grand Con. Nuclear power. Nuclear power. <laughs> um, <laughs> game over. That's all I'm going to say. There's a point here to be made that you should play nuclear power. Anyway, yes. continuing. Yes. And so you have to have something stable for your identity. But you know, in, in tabletop gaming, gaming, your identity just changes every single time. And if you try to live your life like that, you're not going to get very far. Well, tabletop gaming in a lot of ways, and I mean, this this is true for both cards, uh, t- uh, you know, fantasy, D&D, whatever your rule set is. I mean, in a lot of ways, most of, most of these people who play, and I, I'm lumping myself into this because I, I, I have a game night I go to every Wednesday night, and uh, <clears throat> and it, it speaks to, again, it speaks to, uh, for a lot of people, it speaks to control. And uh, control, and if you can control things, there's, there's a great system. You can work the system. You can manage your resources. You can manage your whatever. Pick a game, and it has something that you can control and manage. It also can be, in for many people, a way for approval or not having to fear others. Because I mean, when you go to these things, when you go to these uh, open tabletop game nights, like we have a local place here called Cool Stuff Games. Every Wednesday night, they have an open board game night. Two hundred people show, and it's like what Mikey Bridges does with the Armory. You have two hundred people show up to play. All kinds of games. Power Grid, uh, Seven Wonders, Lifeboats, you name it, it's there. And awesome. there's this, I mean, you walk in the door, <clears throat> and as long as you're not wearing something that says you're a yuppie, you're included from the moment you walk in the door. <laughs> yes. You, don't, you yep. don't feel alienated. It is a place for people to come together, have a community, and you don't have to worry about fearing what the other person is going to think. That, and I think that's true of most tabletop gaming groups. Is this this radical acceptance of people, and it's one of the things I think Jesus really tried to instill um, instill in his disciples that a lot of churches just don't have is 
if you come in, you are welcome to be here. Even if I don't like this about you, you are welcome to be here. Even if there's the sin in, in your life, you are welcome to be here. We will challenge that issue that you have, but you are welcome to come here. And you're right, in, in tabletop gaming, there is that wonderful acceptance. Um, not necessarily a condoning of everything, but an acceptance. you got to remember, when Jesus was on earth, who did he spend his time with? He said he did not come to save the righteous, but he came to save the sinners. So he hung out with the prostitutes. He hung out with the tax collectors. He hung out with the most hated and loathed people of that time. And that is who, as people who follow Christ, as people who are who are duty-bound, in one, you could say, to make disciples, th- that is where, as a gamer who is a Christian, you, you see an environment such as a tabletop gaming community or even a land gaming community or, or, a, or a guild or whatever group or community grows up from gaming, be it physical or digital. You, this, is, this is our discipling ground. This is where you can find people and show them this, this is what we do. This is what we're about. I feel that's a really good point, and I feel um, that specifically for identity, uh, the the concept of identity comes out of um, trying to find something where you feel correct, for lack of a better word, something where you're like you're you're accepted, you uh, don't feel out of place, you don't feel necessarily and there there are other times where there all these things are true but it's still you don't find it to be you um and so many people make their identity uh out of a place where they are accepted specifically like for the gaming community i know that a lot of people uh have turned gaming into a sort of solution in their life uh, a place where they can kind of uh cope essentially because they have issues socially or they have issues in their home life or something like that and that's not to say that it's true in every single case but i know that there are definitely many people for whom gaming has become their identity because outside of that uh their identity is very damaged and that's not uh any sort of negative thing that's no it's it's very true in all forms of life, and it's true uh, outside of gaming as well. There's people who run to other things uh, in life and and kind of create an identity out of that because that's where they feel accepted. They feel it could um, be an athlete. It it could yes. be it, it could be within mm-hmm. work. It could be the person who spends all their time on cars. <clears throat> I mean, let's use that as an example. Take cars for example. The person, your next door neighbor, who is always outside washing and waxing his beautiful Corvette or whatever. You know, he, he, what is he sacrificing for that car? He's mm-hmm. sacrificing time. He's. I know he did not pick that car up at Cars. dot com. <laughs> you know, he 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 he, pray, he or she paid a pretty penny for that, mm-hmm. and that's. That is what his identity is. And I say his, not be, to be sexist, but just because I have never seen a lady outside waxing her mm. Corvette. I've always seen the guy next door. <laughs> How about um, his, her, it? That way we yeah. cover all the different genders. Yeah, there you go. I'm, I always try to say, whenever I write an article, I always use they. I try to use uh, a non-gender plural. Gender-neutral mm-hmm. pronoun. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I used to work oh in car sales, so whatever. Anyway, I, I digress. The, the, the point is, is that, I mean, you, you're right. You pick your subset. You pick your community. And there are people who will evangelize for that. 
And when I say evangelize, I mean they say, we're great. We're excited about this. We love this thing. We want you to come and experience it too. We are huge Orlando Magic fans. They suck, but we love them. We want you to come to the games (laughs) with us. Hey, they do. Hey, I know. Yeah. So (laughs) – you, 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 but it's our job to say in with gaming. There's people who are like, dude, this game was freaking awesome. I loved it. We saw. Did you see the graphics? They look awesome. You know, there's people like that because mm-hmm. you get excited about it. And when we go to these communities, when we insert ourselves into these, and we're trying to bring the light into this, to, to not use a cliche, mm-hmm. it is we're we're going into it to say, you know, to. Bring the message of the gospel. The gospel is the good news that for God's glory, Christ died for our sins, was resurrected so that we might move from death into life. How we, how we send that message to people shows them what our identity is outside of gaming. And that, I think, is probably one of the most important things we can do, whether we're doing it through Skype, vent, chat in your MMO raids, whether it's at a tabletop game or anything like that. That's, that's where I think we can show our identity to others. Yeah. And I, I, that's an awesome point. And there's there's one other thing about identity we haven't really talked about is that your identity will or should be, and and in most case, in, in pretty much all cases is, your identity is the biggest factor in your decision making. Mm. So it, your identity is, you know, I I clean this regularly because. This this is important to me, or you know, I, I pray regularly because my identity is in Christ, and and it is important to me. Um, and so, how do you think you how do you keep yourself in check in terms of letting your identity in Christ be your motivator as opposed to other things? I think it well, just your attention, you know, with whatever you have going into it, and and that could go for you know anything like. For instance, you know, I, me and my grandfather go fishing sometimes, you know, and so it gets down to is our intention when we go out to the river, you know, to catch a bunch of fish in order to come home and tell our other family members, look how great we are and look how, you know, look how great we are fishing, look how well we know the local river, you know, yada, yada, yada. Or is our intention in going there to enjoy God's creation and if we catch something, to come home and say, you know, look how God provided for us. And I, I think that's where you kind of, you know, I think that's kind of where the line is as far as your identity in Christ and how it affects what you do is is your intentions in, in doing whatever it is you're doing. I feel like um, as far as identity goes, you could do something that is necessarily outside the scope of what you would consider your identity uh, however, if you do that thing often enough, even if you disagree with it, even if it's like a negative thing, uh, or even if it's a positive thing, and it in essence becomes your identity, it becomes a part of your identity. So um, just to give an example, somebody who is uh, a an alcoholic, while they may hate that they are an alcoholic, um, they do it so often that it becomes their identity, it becomes a part of them which is why they're labeled as an alcoholic. Um, <clears throat> however, just be- your you the decisions that you make while a lot of them are uh, within the concept of your identity and and influenced by that, sometimes the decisions that you make are outside of that and end up 
becoming your identity. So I have a question for yes, sir. I have an answer because I'm kind of noticing a, a pattern in and kind of how we're how we're talking here. And so, and, and this could open a whole other can of worms, but <laughs> how how concrete do you think our identities are? You know, in other words, are are the things we do a reflection of an identity that we have that is relatively inescapable, or do the things that we do or end up doing can they influence who we are and change that identity? The well, things th- you do reflect who you are. Yes. Well, Basically, think- the things you do are the thing you are. You just mm-hmm. think that you have this strange metaphysical identity Ooh, that wow. exists outside of reality. But you don't really. <laughs> so oh, I just, just to pose the question, because this is, this is lovely, we could get into the, the – Context of a works-based salvation. Oh no, I'm not. Sort of I'm thing. not into that. But no, not at I'm, all. But yeah. my point is that you could, in that sort of thinking, because it is it is more fluid than just what you do is who you are. Uh, in that sort of thinking, you are not saved unless you're constantly involved in church. You're constantly involved in Christian quote unquote activities. Oh, yeah. That that my friend. That. that my friend is called religion. <laughs> No, no, I'm against works righteousness as it's. No, of course, of course. But But just to. It's it's a little more dynamic than just that. I do believe that you are not something that exists outside of you, the things that you do. The person that you are is reflected in all the things that you do your habits, your weird little tics, perhaps your psychological problems. Maybe even, let's say, you want to do something, but you procrastinate a whole lot. Or, you know, there's little. Little ticks, social ticks, private ticks, wherever you do things. These are all reflections of who you are, but you may not or you may recognize these. The problem is most of the time we're just kind of caught unawares by the fact that we have all of these strange neuroses, and they don't really come out until we kind of have this recognition of this. Because there is often times where we can actually create an identity for ourselves that exists outside of the things we do. And by that, I mean, like, oh, I, you know, I look at pornography all the time, but I'm not addicted to that, right? I'm really a sexually pure person because I don't do this, right? So you're identifying yourselves by the things that you don't do versus the things that you do do. Mm. (laughs) And that is a form of self-deception that can continue forever (laughs) if you let it. And that's why I think, really, you just kind of have to deal with the things that you do and not kind of make this identity that is somehow disassociated from that let's 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 run with that example let's say let's say pornography is is your issue well i mean and again we go we can go right back to talking about what we're sacrificing for and you're absolutely right what we do is who we are it shows who we worship it shows what we worship so if Mm. if pornography is your thing if that's your key issue and for others it could be gambling for others it could be it can be simple as finances and for some christians it's even church it's the church gathering itself exactly the, the church gathering itself can become almost an idol unto itself mm-hmm. and the thing is, right. is for a lot of people the identity is the same but for a lot of people the methodologies are different that's why we have so many different denominations within christendom you have you have some people who uh, I mean, I've, I've had people come up to me after a service when I – I wasn't even – I was just a layman. I was leading music that week. And 
this 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 older gentleman comes to me and says, "Why do you have a communion table on the sides? Why isn't it up in the front where it should be respectfully?" And I was just like, "I don't know. I just lead worship here." <laughs> <laughs> but you, you have situations like that, and you and for, for that individual, he was so obsessed and infuriated that we had something not the way he wanted. His idol, his identity was in. We have a religion. We have a specific way of doing things, and this is how it has to be done. And to use your to use your example of pornography, well, well why? What is the core reason? Why are you doing that? What is what is pornography fulfilling for yeah, you? There's a psychological compulsion behind some of the things we do, even though we don't mm-hmm. know that why we're doing it, right? Yeah. And there's the way you can go. Well, I can either beat myself up over the fact that I do X, right? Or that I don't really recognize that it's a problem. Let's say in the case of yours, it's tradition does not supplant truth. <laughs> uh, ba- basically, over, over time, I've learned it can be broken down into one of four things. God is great, so we do not have to be in control. God is glorious, so we do not have to fear others. God is good, so we don't have to look elsewhere for satisfaction. And God is gracious, so we don't have to prove ourselves to others. I think those four things, and yes, I am quoting from someone else. I did not come up with those. From, <laughs> that, is, that is from Tim Keller's book, You Can Change. Those four, and th- there's obviously a lot of depth to those, and there's core issues, but those, those four things, I think if you, if you sit down and you ask yourself, okay, why is this such a big deal? Why do I fight with my wife about this is the way I want the dishes to be put? The, why, why am I going to fight with them on how we do the finances this way? Why am I going to have a disagreement with my spouse about how much money I spent on video games this week? Why, why must I have this stupid subscription to the stupid MMO <laughs> called Elder Scrolls Online, which is a waste of time, but I must have it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and see, I, I, think if you, I think if you look at one of those four, I think you can pretty much slot it into that. And that is, again, it comes back to full circle. If we're not worshiping God, we're worshiping ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Instead of worrying about the things that you are doing, do the things that you should be doing. <laughs> I've always found that very strange, right? If you want to become a better person, then do the things that will make you a better person and stop worrying about the things you're already doing, right? <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I've learned in terms of that is in my struggles with lust, sometimes when I'm tempted to think about certain things, if I just you know stop that and just start praying about whatever I choose to pray about, that changes things, the fact that I'm doing something different. Mm-hmm. As far as that goes, it reminds me of the definition of insanity, which is you do the same thing over and over, you will get the same results, or and expect different results, I'm sorry, uh, that is called insanity. So when you do the same thing over and over and you expect different results, that's going to be obviously negative influencing. Um, kind of like when I turn so, kind of like when I turn on my Xbox One and I expect it to be a video games console. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a five hundred dollar paperweight. Sorry. I, 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 had throw, I had to throw that in there. <laughs> Unless you're playing Titanfall. I, I can't. Not, I will not say if that is what I am doing while we are doing this podcast. I, I, I will. Uh, I plead the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> this is. This Please is, continue. I rudely interrupted your point. Please continue. Well, that was actually definition the end of insanity. Of my, well, that was actually the end of my. Point. Okay, so um, there's a reason I asked that question, and uh, because I, I want to see if if you're kind of agreeing with me on this, because this is I, I've just kind of taken this from everything we said so far. So. You know, the the question is, how does our identity relate to games? 
And so we're talking about how, you know, the things we do are kind of a reflection of our identity. You know, all the things that we do, you know, put together is kind of a, a complete picture of who we are. Yeah. And so I, th- I think games, when you think about it from that perspective, you know, games are a relatively subjective artistic experience within <clears throat> a, you know, within a set parameter, you know, in each mm-hmm. individual experience. And so I think, you know, where some people think that they're getting their identity from the game itself, I, I think what's happening there is they're not really getting their identity from the game. The, the game is kind of showing them a mirror and holding up a mirror to the identity that they already have. And they just happen to like what they see. I you know, don't know. Because if it is who they are. Let me give you a perfect example, a real-life example of something that happened with, with that exact point, because that's a great point. Both my son and, and a friend of his both play the same game. They both play – they well, it's not the same game, but it's, it's first-person shooters. Uh, my son is nine. He gets to play uh, Metroid. He loves the Metroid Prime games. I haven't, I haven't let him play games like Call of Duty or anything like that, so don't go freaking out that I'm letting my kid play Grand Theft Auto. But he has a friend, exact same age. They can go into a game that has that same first-person shooter intensity, and my son will be able to turn it off no problem. This other kid, who obviously I'm not going to name, but he plays it, and he won't turn it off. When he, when he turns it off, his mother had to turn it off, and she would have to, to hold him. Because his reaction was so strong. Now, how can two kids have playing almost the exact same game have different reactions to it? It's because in many ways, games are a mirror. They bring out personalities or things about ourselves that are unique. And for some games, you can play a game like, I, like I know my son can play these games and it's not going to affect him that way because I know my son. I know what his strengths, I know what his weaknesses are in his personality. And for another person, they could play the exact same game and have a completely different reaction. Just like some people can look at gambling, and for them, it's like, whatever, I don't care. Other people, it's an addiction. You're, you're absolutely right. Video games, in many ways, because there's so many different genres, speak to different personality types. I'd, I'd, I'd like to bring up the point that that's not inherently uh, the end-all, be-all of that point. Because I know a guy who plays games specifically against his... Uh, his personal convictions, like he would, he would basically he uses games as a way to explore other sort of ideals and ideas mm-hmm. uh, in games with choice, um, as as a way to kind of see the other side of things. Uh, it, one example, uh, Josh Collar, who's normally on the podcast, uh, plays video games normally as a female character rather than a male character, and that's because he likes seeing the other side of the of the grass per se. <laughs> I, well, I think that even in making. You know, even in attempting to do something, you know, kind of outside of the box to get another perspective, I think even that is a reflection. Uh, you know, I, I think even that is a reflection of who you are. Like, for instance, Zach was saying that, you know, the story doesn't really mean anything to him. Well, and so it, I, it does mean something, but it doesn't have any effect on the way I play the game. <laughs> exactly. So, if you know, you're, you're essentially saying that the story has no tangible effect on how you play the game. Yeah. But even... You know, even in that lack, even in that negative sense or that lack of, you know, feeling like the story matters in that sense and how you play the game, I think even that says something about, you know, who you are as a person, you know, even though, it, you know, as opposed to myself, whereas I, you know, the story, you know, I, I tend to play the game 
you know, you know, like I said, I, I tend to try to save people, and I do that within the context of the story. And so the story actually does affect the way that I play the game. And I think even in those differences of how we approach things within the same context, you know, is yeah. a, is a way of reflecting who we are. I think as a matter of approach, that would probably be the best way to put it. Not necessarily like, oh, I do evil things because I'm an evil person in a game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It could have a lot more nuances than, you know, a simple that's, that's, yes or no. Or you could be a min-maxer and you just want to play evil because you want to get the cool powers in Infamous. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they may be really cool. <laughs> I feel like that's a good distinction to make, Zach. I second that emotion. <laughs> <laughs> because it is a good motion. It is a good motion. <laughs> So we've talked about identity, we've talked about Christian identity, we've talked about Christian identity related to video games. So what should we take away from this, necessarily? That you cannot expect a good character development discussion with Zachary Oliver. Uh, well, <laughs> I don't think games are literature, and that's a whole different ball of wax. Oh. I'm not even going to touch that. Ooh. Well, they, they can't be can't literature. I mean, they can't. They can be narrative delivery vehicles, but you're, literature is the written word, yeah. right? I mean, is yeah. that the definition? It is literature or art or any of those other things. If it's Ooh. art, it's not art in the way that it's art a is movie. subjective. No, if the art I is went, not a subjective. I went. Thing. I'll never forget this. I went in high school. You, you, your choir band trip does these these things, and you you know you go and perform for five minutes somewhere, and then the rest of the trip is you're you're seeing the sights. We went to the New York City Museum of Art or whatever the Art Institute it has some pretentious name. I'll never forget the the signature piece of art in the exhibit was an old barrel filled with popcorn. Yep. That was that was the art exhibit. It was it was an old school barrel like the kind you see people go over Niagara Falls in, filled with popcorn. And that was it had its own little pedestal and its own track lighting. And I'm just like, this is art. Was the popcorn stale? I don't know. It, it was all it was. <laughs> I, 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 it was too. It was behind too many ropes for me to try it. And it didn't. And I only like cheese or caramel popcorn. So you know, it didn't really didn't really appeal to me. But you know, whatever. So yeah, art is subjective in well, in so many ways. To say that it's subjective would mean that basically art is meaningless because any kind of emotional reaction you have to a created work would be considered art, and that well, would I'm, mean there's no point in calling anything art. Or there's a point in calling everything art, which is like makes it a non-term. It's like exactly, saying, exactly. art is thing I like. You know what I mean? Everybody's special dash, which yeah. is just another way of saying nobody is. That's why that's why I don't find it useful to call things art in the subjective sense. Art is a communal acceptance of something of some kind of cultural product as something worth looking at, examining, and seeing as a contribution to human civilization. Because would Justin it, Bieber yeah. fall into that category? No, Justin Bieber would not fall into that category. In fact, the majority I, I would have a <laughs> the majority I, of things that are produced in pop culture or otherwise are not art. But the things that survive yes, yes. the ages from times long past, such as, let's say, Hammurabi's Code, we could call these things art. Because they're the things that survived out of a host of millions of things that didn't. They've, people felt they were worth preserving. That's why we call them art. So, there's my diatribe on art. <laughs> okay, note to self, put... Put Halo, the entire Halo series, into a time capsule so it's preserved and just to irritate Zach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. We'll see. But I could get behind that. Yeah, it may be the last thing that people see. You know, maybe our civilization crumbles to dust and Halo survives. And then maybe... I will ensure that. Could do, you could do worse. You could do worse. <laughs> <laughs> you could do worse. Yeah. You could do worse. You, you, you could... Um... 
you, you could have had prototype in there or uh sneak king oh <laughs> or, or do you remember the burger king game for the 360 good lord yeah, sneak yes. king yeah sneaking is <laughs> is going to be the thing that survives yes sneaking yes. now we've gotten completely off topic Yes, but that's the best as, way to go. <laughs> as far as what I feel that should be taken away from the concept of identity in video games, um, and Christianity, of course, uh, is that us as Christians and as gamers, uh, because I don't believe that necessarily everybody who listens to this podcast is would call themselves a Christian, um, us as, as gamers and possibly as Christians, that... Who we are is greater than the us as a sum in an equation is greater than the parts that are added up to us. We are greater than the sum of our parts, in essence. And that just because we play one sort of game or one sort of, um, or we have one sort of mindset or mentality or, or play style in um, playing these games, that that doesn't necessarily mean that we are that. I lost you when you said equation because I hate math. Okay, fair enough. I lost <laughs> myself in that too. I get what you were saying. I get what you were saying. Okay. Any other final thoughts? I, I played a very disturbing... Uh, one thing I'd like to know is what, what have you guys been playing this week? I mean, I mean, uh, th- those of us who have, have time to play, what, what have you all been playing? Because not everyone here is a pretentious PC gaming snob like yeah, <laughs> there are those of us who willingly wallow in the console filth. So. Well, what's wrong with consoles? Oh, I I don't know. They're I fun. Just, ever since I saw Zero Punctuation's video on The Witcher uh, review and his glorious PC gaming master race meme took off, and we now uh, yeah okay anyway. Um, well, I yes. bought Dark Souls two on PC, so. <sighs> That is true. That is true. The PS3 version graphically stinks, but that's yeah, neat. We'll see. There you go. <laughs> it's a seven-year-old console. What do you expect? Well, I played Dark Souls and Demon Souls this week, so there you go. There that's you go. All I've been playing for the past month. <laughs> Andrew, Eric, and the, and, uh, the guy whose name doesn't match his name in Skype. What, what have you guys been playing? Hunter Cunning, <laughs> Cunning Hunter. Yes. I thought it was Jackson or something for a minute. No. There. Jackson um, Pollock? Actually, <laughs> no. <laughs> I actually don't have a whole lot of time to play games, uh, especially recently. Um, mm-hmm. The only thing I've really been playing is Bejeweled, and that's in the moments in between finding one thing to do and another. Hey, um, Bejeweled is a legit game. Yeah, you will not find than, any. Better than playing Candy Crush, right? Yeah, if you played <laughs> Candy Crush, I would beat the tar out of no, you right now. I would beat verbally. the tar out of me for that one. <laughs> well, I've spent the past month and a half nearly coming apart at the seams working on my senior thesis but last weekend i took a break from driving myself insane and i actually i i borrowed it from a friend so i didn't play it all the way through but i i began playing dragon's dogma darker is and i i enjoyed it um and it took a little bit for me to kind of understand how the game worked I guess you could say it, it kind of took me a little bit to kind of understand it. Yeah, I uh, hear it's very much like Dark Souls in in its own strange way. Yeah, yeah, I, I would say it is. Um, but uh, I I liked it. I, I did enjoy it. Uh, I'm I'm gonna have to buy it for myself now at some point. Uh, the only thing that irritated me about it was 
I kind of feel like we should be past the point where downloading HD packs is a part of your game experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice. So that, that's my one gripe with it. But other than, other than that, I, I enjoyed the gameplay. Uh, you know, I, the world is interesting. I kind of like battling you know monsters from myth and, and yeah. that kind of thing. I, I like that element to it. So and cool stuff happens. Right. <laughs> See, I've been playing Marvel's Avengers Alliance since I got back to Facebook on Sunday. Ooh, still going on that. Is there an end to that game? No, no. They just <laughs> keep making more in for it. Do you do um, PvP or anything, or you just do... I do a little v- PvP, and uh, I, I do do the uh, ones where you have to have the special ISO 8, the secret missions or whatever they're called. Yeah. Um, and I do the... Um, you know, the normal missions as well. So, yeah. I, I don't... My problem with the PvP is that I find that at least for the first few days that a new PvP season is out on that, you're, um... You're kind of... For me, I, I find that I almost never win. The first few days is out that I'm constantly uh, being beaten. <laughs> and I, I want... What my temptation to do is to is to think that when it first comes out, all of the people who like to cheat get right on it. <laughs> and <laughs> nice, you know, it just they just kind of swallow it up. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but or they're just highly over leveled or have every single advantage or something or other like that. Yeah. Um. And I played. There's a Facebook version of Carcassonne. Um, that I was playing yesterday that I play from time to time and Settlers because you know, I had a, an actual live Settlers night at the clubhouse for the apartment complex I'm living at right now um, Monday night a bunch of us got together and played some Settlers of Catan and I've been playing the uh, one app with the uh, Windows 8 app so that's what I've been doing with gaming very nice I um well, no, go ahead. I had a I had a question I feel that would be a little more and not to not to discount anything that's been said, but I feel a question that would be relevant to um this podcast specifically. If you guys could recommend a game to play with the concept of identity in mind, what would you recommend? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is a difficult question for me personally to answer as I think I've made a parent through this podcast. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, I am always myself when I play a game, so I wouldn't necessarily recommend anything in particular to talk about the concept of identity. <laughs> but okay. if I had to pick right. something, I would say everyone should play Dark Souls. <laughs> I had a feeling that was coming up. Yes. <laughs> For me personally, uh, I would pick either uh, Knights of the Old Republic, the first one, or... Um, Fallout New Vegas, personally. Um, Knights of the Old Republic, because uh, the the character development that happens with the main character in the story, where he's kind of struggling with his own personal identity. And New Vegas, because you have some predisposed identity, but you can also totally throw that away and really create exactly what you want. I'm going to have to go... And this is this might be seen as a cop out by some, but I'm going to have to go with either the Fable trilogy or or Ma- the Mass Effect trilogy. <clears throat> hmm. Fable, really? 
Well, Fable because, believe it or not, I really like that trilogy. And especially because, <laughs> you, you, I mean, if we're talking about identity and forming, uh, I mean, I'm approaching it from the, from the idea that you can create a character and have them be the type of character you want. So games like Fable, Mass Effect, or even Infamous for that matter, <clears throat> you can choose to play however you want with. I mean, the Mass Effect, for as much as I hated the ending, is as much as it was an abomination and an insult to the art of gaming. Um, in, in case you don't know my opinion on everything that happened in the last third of Mass Effect Three, um, it uh, to me it was interesting because you 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 can make Shepard be as much of a jerk or as much of a hero as you want Shepard to be, or anywhere and, in the middle. Or anywhere in the middle, exactly. I mean, in for so for me that was great. Now, if you're talking about identity in, in such a game that um, speaks to one character's motivations for doing something that that affects everything, as a Christian, I'm hesitant to recommend this game, even though it's in my top five. As I, I am a complete hypocrite for it, but for those people who <clears throat> have no problem or personal compunction playing survival horror games, Silent Hill Two. Yeah, interesting. Hmm. That seems like a pretty good recommendation, actually. Because because, and I, I won't spoil the details for anyone who's ever played it. But if you if you have a PlayStation Two, or if you have the uh, a PS3, the HD collection has the bugs fixed in it. The 360 version does not because Konami's cheap, and no one bought it. <laughs> uh, but the H, the HD collection because I mean it's a retelling of the Greek story of uh, oh jeez. Persephone's the one that got abducted by Hades, right? And dude, and one yeah. of the other people had to go down and like rescue her every once in a while. That's what we have. Yeah, I'm, yes. I, I suck at my Greek mythology. <laughs> no, but no, anyway. no, you're right, you're right. <laughs> but the story of James Sunderland going back to Silent Hill because, because Silent Hill to epitomize the town. It, it, I mean, essentially, is purgatory. The, the the characters you meet, Silent Hill forms around what James brought with him into the city, and that was the same for Eddie. Who one of the other characters, uh, uh, the the little girl whose name escapes me at this time, and then um, the other lady. This is, sucks. It's one of my favorite games, and I can't remember the other lady's name. You, you encounter people, and by the end of the game, you realize that they all see the town in a different way, like both physically and and illusionary. And before Pyramid Head sold himself out and was every single game after that, it, it, I mean, he was he was a force. Uh, of absolute terror. I, st- I I play through that game maybe about once every two years, and to this day, I still have to play with the lights on because it still freaks me out. Yeah, it's probably the best Silent Hill game if I was to say from yeah. afar. <laughs> yeah, because but but to, to be your, to your point, identity wise, James Sunderland is probably one of the, one of the best developed characters, both because of the narrative and the gameplay mechanics worked well with the narrative. So that's those that's my two cents. So who I, are we on now? The only game I could recommend is Mass Effect. I mean, I even though we completely disagree on how we feel about the ending, because I actually enjoyed the ending. <laughs> believe it or not, you're I'm funny. Like one of the, I'm like the one person. I'm like the one person on the entire. I want to. No, 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 no. Hang on, hang on. No, we have to go to a Casey Hudson quote, director of the Mass Effect trilogy series, and I want to. I want to just you know paraphrase a quote by this guy. I, I'm furiously looking it up on Google while I'm saying this. See if I can get it up. But no. It's going to be an exciting series where every choice you make matters, where everything you do will have an effect, and there will be so many ways for this game to possibly end. Not freaking blue, green, or red. Okay, I'm done. It's Simon Says for adults. 
it would take far, <laughs> it would take it would take far too long for me to defend my position for me to even try. So I won't. But. So should I play through Mass Effect? Are you guys going to recommend it to me now? Yes, you should yeah. play yes. through it. I yes. played through thirty hours. The first one got bored. And I'm going to say yes. this: you need to play as Femship, and not because I like, but because Jennifer Hale is a far superior voice actor than uh, whatever the, the guy dude. was who, who did bald-headed generic space marine ship. <laughs> I, I would, I would, I would co-sign on that. You definitely got to play as Femship. But anyway, How long the reason I would recommend it, as far that? as identity is concerned is just because uh, kind of like I was adding on to his is there's there's such a it's not your standard you 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 know good or evil or whatever you really can kind of ride that gray area and and take each situation for what it is and kind of react to it in a way that that you genuinely want to without feeling like you have to be stuck in a particular you know paragon or renegade path and that's what I really enjoyed about it was uh, the ability for, you know, when I really wanted to hit, you know, you know that, that particular person for saying something or doing something to me, you know, I I did, you know, and I took that renegade <laughs> option and I smacked him right across the face. You hit that head. right trigger. You smacked <laughs> him upside the head. You know, and and uh, you know, and and having that ability, you know, even though I was a paragon, you know, I, I enjoyed that ability to kind of take situations as they were without being stuck to a particular path. Now, here's what I will say. If you do choose to play it, and and you like Rex a lot, all I'm going to say is this: go Paragon all the way and sink all of your talent points into uh, in into negotiation, so you can save Rex and then decide just go you know, be evil all the way, and then after that you can do that or, whatever you want. Or you can do the side quest to find his family armor. <laughs> yeah, that'll work too. Yeah, but I'll probably end up get... killing everybody. That's usually what happens to me. <laughs> Don't, dude. If you, uh, dude, don't kill Tally. Tally's awesome. Who's that? I think yes. I'll kill her too. Play the game. <laughs> I don't think you, you know. Now that I think about, it, I don't think you can kill her. You can't. Mm-hmm. Well, this mm-hmm. game is awful. I think in the I'm third one, stop. you can. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. In, in the, the third, third one, you can. I could kill everyone. Okay. Well, you know what? this is okay then. <laughs> well, it's more you get everyone killed yes. rather than kill everyone. Oh, oh. Well, uh, yeah, can, that works too. You can get everyone, including yourself. Including yourself killed at the end of the second one, and there literally won't be a third one in that instance. Oh, that's you right. Do you just not play. <laughs> <laughs> this is the end no, of I my mean, you can, but experience. You can, but you won't be able to use that save import because you literally get everyone, including yourself, killed. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> it's like so, an end of the game, actual, like an actual end of the game. Yep. <laughs> For me, as as a tabletop gamer, there's one. I don't know if this this game really talks about. Identity, but it's the closest I can come to anything where you have to really make choices because I don't play D and D, so I can't recommend D and D because I don't play that. Um, I don't play Pathfinder, but uh, there's a, a really, um, and I just realized I kind of interrupted. But <laughs> no, you're Sorry. good. Oh, you're um, good. There's a game I've only played it once. It's called Agents of Smirsh, and basically, it's like. A uh, two-zero an adventure book, but it's a game, hmm. and it's fully cooperative. You're all working together, but you're all agents, secret agents, trying to accomplish whatever goal you have that particular game. Um, the the other thing I would recommend for identity that that would be kind of interesting because it puts players into kind of strange situations. Um, would be betrayal at House on the Hill. Ooh, that's a good one. 
That um, is a good one. Because there's a story is very important in that game. And when you begin the game, you literally have no clue how it's going to go. But at some point in the game, one of your people, and you don't know who, will become a traitor. And they'll basically either they'll be destroyed by the monster and play the monster, or they'll basically be the one who's controlling the monster in the game. And there's 50 different scenarios that come with, with the game when you buy it. And it could be anything from a giant spider, which happened one of the times that I played it, to a vampire or ghosts or whatever. And you have to, you know, your one person is going to try and figure out how to betray the entire rest of the group. And the other people could try and figure out what are we going to do? Are we going to try and save this person that's part of our group? Or are we just going to take him out with all the monsters? Take him out. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll add to that tabletop one. This is a game that will test your friendships. It will test your relationships with loved ones. And it will make you question your identity as a Christian. It's called Lifeboats. It is, it is. I have never played a game. I, I saw a bunch of people. I came in to cool stuff. I was sitting there playing my own thing with Seven Wonders with some friends. And I, you know, there's this table in the back where these, you know, this group of about seven people are playing this game. And as the game goes on, it gets more animated. And people are just starting to yell at the top and like, you stupid, beep, blankety, blank, beep, beep, blank. And I'm just like, <laughs> what in the, what are they playing over there? And they all got smiles on their faces. And, I mean, you can tell some of them want to punch each other, but they. <laughs> but in short, the game is essentially you have th- you have four or five lifeboats you're trying to get from your ship to the shore, and the point of it is is at the end of every round, someone gets kicked off the boats. It's almost like Survivor with Chinese fire drills around the boats. At the end of, <laughs> and, you, and you have to, you you have to form alliances. You have to lie. You have to backstab other, to survive. In the game, so as the game progresses, you'll be like, "Hey, you know, Zach, you know, you know, you and I are red and green, but you know, you look, look over here at Andrew. You know, he he doesn't have any people on his boat. Let's vote him off. Let's kick him out. We don't we don't need him. He can go. He's got enough people on other boats. He'll be fine. And then you know, Andrew will remember that because eventually throughout the game, <laughs> you will change places, and you might find yourself in a boat with Andrew, and he'll be like, "Hey, Zach, let's kick John off." He sucks. Remember what he did to us earlier? And it can be very cutthroat. I would highly recommend it. It is a lot of fun. Just make sure you know who you're playing with and that they won't kill you or, you know, slash your tires. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, (laughs) I think we can conclude our podcast about identity. Very cool. All right. Well, if you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes much enjoyed. Hey, can I can I do a self shameless plug for myself too, or can, no. or do, are any of these Everybody guys shamelessly uh. plug yourselves about things? Yes, <laughs> right okay. now. Yes. Okay, so uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm a staff writer at Inquisitor. I, I write video game reviews and interviews. Uh, today's one of my features was I interviewed the the developers for a Death in Candlewood. It's a small survival horror game uh, being developed by some guys who worked on the original Witcher and Silent Hill Origins. Anyway, you can you can follow me on Twitter at Al- at Alpha Bovine, A-L-P-H-A-B-O-V-I-N-E. Uh, you can find me on PSN, Xbox Live, and Steam with the same name. And uh, you can find me on Google Plus, too. That way, send, follow my writings, help read, pay my bills, so my kid can have clothes, all that good stuff. <laughs> and I run, my name Eric Anderson, and I run the Nerd Chapel. 
Uh, you can find our videos on YouTube by searching Nerd Chapel, or you can find me by searching for Nerd Chapel on Facebook or facebook.com slash Nerd Chapel. And you can also find Nerd Chapel on Blogspot at uh, nerdchapel.blogspot.com. And we just talk about cool things like comics and gaming and science fiction. And we say, here's something cool from this, and here's something from the Bible, and here's where they come together. Hmm. Sounds a lot like Theology Gaming. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I like it. I like what it says here. Nerd Chapel. I am a follower of Christ who loves board games. My favorite sci-fi franchises include Stargate, Doctor Who, and Star Wars. <laughs> I like it. Good sign. I like it. I, you, you have a new follower now. I like it. Wonderful. Uh, Andrew Crawford, what are you? Uh, <laughs> who are you? <laughs> I actually wasn't planning on plugging myself. As Plug as yourself. This is why um, we're here. <laughs> I am the writer for The Geek and the Word at Blogspot. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can find me there. I, I write about uh, a lot of the same stuff as far as you know, combining uh, my Christianity and uh, gaming. Uh, so you'll find a lot of different things on there. I, I do I do theological posts. I do posts about gaming. Uh, you know, a little bit of everything. And there, I also have a blog on Tumblr. Uh, same thing, The Geek and the Word at, at, a, at a Tumblr. And I... That's about it. <laughs> I, um, this is Michael Jones. I'm not cool enough to be plugged anywhere. Uh, just, uh, just on Facebook. I hang out on theologygaminggamechurch.com. Yeah. Oh, and join Theology Gaming University if you'd like to talk to everybody that's been on this podcast at some point or other. Indeed. <laughs> because we all like to just randomly talk about this. Yes. And I, I definitely, because I want to, who, okay, who was it? Because I, I I haven't been paying attention to my Skype screen. Who is it that ha- wants to defend Mass Effect Three? Me. <laughs> yeah, have that debate. Yeah, I I, I want to have a nice level-headed debate where I tell you you're an idiot, and then you respectfully <laughs> tell me that I'm an idiot, and we go forth from there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, this has been the Theology Gaming Podcast. Everybody, say goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.